It's the Victorian Variety Show. That figure is so closely connected with the secret distresses of her very soul. And the impression made upon it is so entwined with her confidence and trust in me and her knowledge of the power of the magnetism that it must not make head again. From what I know from her, I know there is more danger and delay in one appearance of that figure than in a dozen fits of the severest bodily pain. Believe nothing she says of her capacity of endurance if the reappearance of that figure should become frequent. Consult that mainly and before all other signs. Welcome to the Victorian Variety Show. My name is Marissa, and the excerpt I just read is from a letter that Charles Dickens sent to a Swiss banker named Emile de la Rue about de la Rue's wife, who suffered from a number of ailments that were likely rooted in anxiety. We all know Dickens as the author of Oliver Twist, Great Expectations, A Tale of Two Cities, and many others. But were you aware that Dickens was also a proponent of mesmerism, which he used to treat Madame de la Rue during his stay in Italy in the mid-1840s? In this episode, I am going to take a closer look at mesmerism, which first appeared decades before the Victorian era, but went on to influence many on both sides of the Atlantic and in other parts of the world during that time, and helped to form the basis of modern-day hypnosis. This is the first of what I am sure will be numerous episodes on the practice of medicine during the Victorian era. But given the unusual history of some of these practices, I will try to give you a bit of history for each in the hope that it will give you a better understanding of how these practices came about, as well as more insight into those whose influence is still felt in some way today, such as mesmerism. Actually, if you want to get technical, treating people by inducing a trance-like state has been around since ancient times, but Franz Anton Mesmer is credited with being the first to focus on it for purposes of scientific study. Mesmer was a German physician whose most famous theory, known as animal magnetism, involved the transference of natural energy between animate and inanimate objects. In his doctoral dissertation, which was published in 1766, Mesmer posited that the sun and the moon can influence so-called tides in the human body. At first, Mesmer's work, which was influenced by that of Sir Isaac Newton and the theory of gravity, among others, raised few eyebrows. But that all changed in the 1770s, when Mesmer, who believed that illness stemmed from reduced levels of animal magnetism, combined the induction of trance-like states in his patients with the use of a magnet in a series of dramatic hand gestures, which became known as the mesmeric pass. According to the history of hypnosis, the magnets and gestures helped the mesmerist transfer some of his magnetic life force to patients suffering from a wide variety of maladies, including, but not limited to, blindness, paralysis, convulsions, 
menstrual difficulties, and so-called hysterical conditions, all of which, Mesmer believed, were rooted in an imbalance of animal magnetism. Eventually, Mesmer incurred the wrath of the medical establishment by taking his show on the road, so to speak, and staging elaborate demonstrations for European nobility and his theories were ultimately discredited by a royal commission tasked with investigating his work. However, even after Mesmer was dismissed as a fraud and driven into exile, Mesmerism continued to be practiced by Mesmer's disciples, and in the early part of the 19th century, a number of prominent physicians and researchers in France and Britain were willing to put their credibility on the line to prove that Mesmerism worked. In fact, one of the founders of University College London, Professor John Elliotson, became Britain's most vocal advocate of magnetism after seeing a demonstration performed by a French chemist in 1829. Elliotson began his own mesmeric practices to treat so-called nervous disorders, and Elizabeth and Jane Oakey, two teenage sisters whom he treated for epilepsy, soon became his most famous patients. He found that placing the sisters under magnetic trances not only helped to alleviate their symptoms, but also transformed their behavior dramatically, particularly in Elizabeth's case. In an article called Professor John Elliotson, The Curious Case of a Victorian Mesmerist, Chris, and I'm sorry, but I don't believe there's a last name in here. It's just Chris is uh, credited with writing this article. Chris notes that Elizabeth, who was normally quiet and shy, broke out into song, danced, mimicked doctors, and told risque jokes once she was placed in a trance by Elliotson. Like Mesmer before him, Elliotson began to give well-attended public demonstrations with the sisters in the University College Lecture Theater and attracted attention from the likes of Dickens and Michael Faraday, as well as detractors, who, in addition to questioning Elliotson's methods, sought to discredit the Oakey sisters, who by that time had become celebrities in their own right. Thomas Walkley, who founded a little journal you may have heard of called The Lancet, sought to refute mesmerism after a failed experiment during a public demonstration by Elliotson and Elizabeth Oakey at Walkley's home. According to the article that I just referenced, written by Chris, Walkley, a former friend of Elliotson, caused the experiment to fail by tricking Elizabeth. Other medical professionals soon joined Walkley in discrediting Elliotson, which led Elliotson to resign from university hospital. Following his resignation, Elliotson remained an enthusiastic promoter and practitioner of mesmerism. In 1843, he founded a journal called The Zoist, in which, according to Chris, he sought to connect and harmonize, quote, practical science with little understood laws governing the mental structure of man, end quote. By publishing research on mesmerism and phrenology, which I hope to discuss in a future episode, and articles on painless surgeries that were performed on mesmerized patients. However, these findings didn't seem to persuade the medical establishment to rethink their attitudes on Elliotson's theories. As Tyler Rouse explains in an article called The Brief and Strange History of Mesmerism and Surgery, 
Despite the success of many of these surgeries, ether became the anesthetic of choice among physicians in the late 1840s. In addition, Elliotson founded the London Mesmeric Infirmary in 1849, where he offered his services to impoverished patients. And Rouse notes that other mesmeric hospitals opened in Exeter, Bristol, Dublin, and numerous other locations in Britain and Europe. Once again, these accomplishments did little to improve Elliotson's reputation, and he was destitute when he died in 1868. At this point, you may be wondering how mesmerism continued to be so appealing when the disdain of the medical community was so obvious. As we will see in future episodes, spirituality was vital to the Victorian era in both England and the United States. According to Deborah Manson in the 19th century pseudoscience trend that gave us animal magnetism, quote, mesmerism occupied a gray area between religion and science before firm lines were drawn between the two. In the mesmeric trance, it was thought people might rid themselves of mental encumbrances, gaining pure insight to the spiritual realm, end quote. states, where no formal education was required to practice, mesmerism became especially popular in New England, where, Manson estimates, 20 to 30 mesmerists were active by the early 1840s. And, similar to what we saw with Dickens in England, a number of American intellectuals explored the possibilities of mesmerism in their work and even dabbled in it. For example, Edgar Allan Poe developed a strong interest in mesmerism and incorporated it into a number of his stories. Nevertheless, other American intellectuals saw through mesmerism. Among them were Ralph Waldo Emerson, who, according to Manson, believed mesmerists, who were most often male, took advantage of their female patients, and Nathaniel Hawthorne and Herman Melville, who cast mesmerism and mesmerists in a negative light in their fiction. I think we can take a few things away from this short discussion on mesmerism. For starters, we can see the tension that exists between the medical establishment and certain methods that adherents believe are highly effective, even if they don't have the proven track record that more, you might say, acceptable treatments do. This is not to say that I don't believe Mesmer or Elliotson didn't perform as many experiments as the more respected sciences of the time did, or that their methods were less rigorous in their own way. Just that there tends to be a system of checks and balances that seems to be more fitting for conventional medicine than practices like mesmerism, which usually results in the conventional forms being deemed more legitimate at the end of the day. Personally, I believe there's a time and a place for treatments like mesmerism. For example, I don't believe vital surgeries or cancer treatments are among them, but for conditions that affect the mood or the mind, I have heard that hypnosis can work wonders in treating stress and forms of addiction, so I'm open to the possibility that mesmerism had some benefits for certain conditions. And as a result, I'm not surprised that learned men like Elliotson and Dickens became ardent supporters. 
For that reason, although mesmerism's ability to offer greater insight into the mysterious workings of the mind and its flair for the dramatic added to its entertainment value, I think that dismissing it solely as a form of entertainment would be a grave mistake. I would love to find out what you thought of this episode. Please email me at the Victorian Variety Show at gmail.com and give me a follow on Twitter at, at VictorianVariety1. Also, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because it'll help the show reach a lot more people. Finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13. I'll include all of these links in the notes for this episode, as well as links to all of the articles and blogs that I consulted in preparing this episode. I hope you'll check them out and possibly do more research on your own because there's a great deal of fascinating information to be found on this topic. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode on a topic that may or may not be related to this one. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with a quote taken from Edgar Allan Poe's short story, Mesmeric Revelation, that not only hints at Poe's fascination with mesmerism that we were just discussing, but also I think it provides more insight into the fact that mesmerism's influence is still felt today in the form of hypnosis. I'm going to include a link to the whole story in the notes for this episode as well but this excerpt should give you an idea of what the piece is about. So, enjoy. I am enabled to plainly to trace this effect to the mesmeric influence. I cannot better explain my meaning than by the hypothesis that the mesmeric exaltation enables me to perceive a train of convincing ratiocination, a train which, in my abnormal existence, convinces, but which, in full accordance with the mesmeric phenomena, does not extend, except through its effect, into my normal condition. In sleep-waking, the reasoning and its conclusion, the cause and its effect, are present together. In my natural state, the cause vanishing, the effect only, and perhaps only partially, remains. <laughs>